1: The state of Texas has many different microclimates from deserts in West Texas to flood-prone grasslands of Houston to the raging heat in Southern Texas. How about the weather right in the middle of the state's hill country? Austin, Texas is an eclectic city that is growing in popularity and population, but my guest today has been there for decades. Troy Kimmel is a well-known broadcast meteorologist for the city and has dedicated his life to enhancing Austin's weather knowledge and natural disaster support. Troy, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast.
0: Marshall Shepard, it's a uh, pleasure to be along with you. I, I will tell you, just to kind of let the inside part of this, Marshall and I have known each other for a few years, and uh, and I have great admiration for what you do, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Well, I you know I
1: appreciate all that, but let's cut right to the chase. Troy, okay. He's a legend. If you go into Texas, you go in the Austin, Central Texas, and you talk weather, his name's going to come up. I mean, it's, it's, there's no doubt about it. Let me just read some of the things about Troy before I ask him the question that I always ask each weather geeks, right out of, each Weather Geeks guest, I should say, right out of the gate. Before I do that, let me just give you a little Troy's background. He worked as chief meteorologist at multiple TV and radio stations in Austin spanning 30 years. Senior Lecturer in Studies in Weather and Climate and Manager, uh, and Manager, I should say, of the Weather and Climate Resource Center at the University of Texas at Austin, Department of Geography and the Environment. He's the owner of Chemco Meteorological Services, which provides meteorological data and services to companies. There's more, by the way. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about some of the other things he does throughout the podcast. But, Troy, the question that we ask every Weather Geeks guest right out of the
0: top, what got you into weather? And you know, Marshall, that is one of the most, uh, and you look back at it and you talk to people like yourself and our colleagues that we work with, there always seems to be that moment. There seems to be that moment in time that gets people in. It's maybe an event, maybe it's just an interest. Um, I am a native Texan, Marshall, and, and everyone listening, but I grew up a large, at least a chunk of my life. In the state of Mississippi, I, I grew up in North Mississippi, in Alcorn County, in Corinth, and in Tupelo, Mississippi, in the northeast part of the state. And Marshall, I think the answer to that, well, before that, let me tell you that in elementary school into junior high, horrified of lightning lightning. And And the thunder and storms, really? Really? yes, absolutely, and to the point, it was clinical uh, almost i'm <laughs> I'm serious they want parents are ready to check me because of this and one thing that I tell marshall and and I know you know this, and so many people out there know this i I look back at and I can still sit there, Marshall, and I say it with the most sincerity that I can, second grade Jane Mills third grade, Miss Swan. I, I can look at these teachers back in the second, and third grade in Carth, Mississippi, when they saw that I was uncomfortable with lightning and thunder. In those days, we had this room. It was called a library. It had a lot of books inside of it. And, and they sent me there. And I read through all these books. And it got to the point where the library at East Carnth Elementary School, I think they had to order more weather books. But mm-hmm. they did that for me, Marshall. And that's you know, I look back at, at the moments that I had in, 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 in Corinth, Mississippi. Yeah, I'm native Texan, but these teachers made me who I am. And I, I think about my eighth grade teacher, Peggy Bronner, who's still a good friend in Memphis, Tennessee. And, and these people helped to make me what I am. So this is my interest in it. But the day itself, Marshall, is April 19th, 1970. And if you go check that day out, It'll uh, be the day of the Corinth, Mississippi tornado. There was an EF4 in Alcorn County on a Sunday afternoon at about 1255 in the afternoon. And Marshall, it moved uh, across mainly the south and eastern parts of Corinth, Mississippi. I still remember this because that was number one where my dad had his soft drink Pepsi Cola plant in Corinth, Mississippi, right in that area of town. And on that Sunday, we had been to church. My dad went fishing. But then we heard about this tornado, and I remember my mom taking me, Marshall, into where this tornado. We were worried about the Pepsi-Cola plant, <laughs> and, and, and I remember loading up the station wagon as a family, and what I remember, Marshall, to this day is driving down Cass Street in Corinth, Mississippi, into the tornado path next to the junior high or middle school that I just started attending. We had just gone through desegregation right, at this right. point in Mississippi. Yeah, I thought that and, was around that time. Yeah, and and we had just taken over what had been a a really uh, great African-American high school, part of the desegregation, uh, Easton High School. And, And this was the first year I was in this building, and this school is in the path as well. And we drive by, and I'm noticing people, Marshall, right now I can still remember people bloodied walking out of the tornado path where we're driving into it. And I still remember that. that. That's the day that got me. We unfortunately lost five people in Corinth that day and injured a lot of people. Um, our Pepsi-Cola plant made it. They took the roof off the school. And darn it, Marsha, we only missed five days of school. Um, but to this, to, this, to this point, I still remember that day. That is the moment. That's what got me into this and really made the difference.
1: Yeah, that's a fascinating story. You're talking with Troy Kimmel who we're calling this podcast episode, Austin's weather superstar, but he's so much more, but I think his story really embodies uh, in some ways a story that many of us have some experience in our past that just set us on a course towards being a meteorologist. And I think, as you well know, for many of the colleagues that we mutually interact with Troy, I mean. People who come into our field generally are pretty passionate about it. You just don't sort of stumble into it. Yeah, I think I'll go do, I mean, we really have a passion for it. I think you're one of those people. Let's transition, because you've been in Austin a long time. I mean, I, I actually didn't know that history about you growing up here in the deep south and your fellow southerner as well, native Georgian. But Austin,
0: in a nutshell, how would you describe Austin's weather and climate? You know, it's it's interesting because I think with everything that we talk about, whether whatever your thoughts are about climate change and things like that, um, you know, I think it's changing a bit. Um, We you know, we're we're still on the western side of that subtropical climate uh, that you enjoy so much. There in Georgia <laughs> of Marshall. But, Pretty humid here right now, Troy. <laughs> no, but, but, you know, we're on the west. We're on the western side of that. And we kind of butt up against, you know, more of the semi-arid and the arid environment to the west, which makes it really interesting because it makes it easier to turn drier quicker here. Um, our average annual rainfall in Austin, just to let people know, is about 34, 35 inches of rain a year. Our average annual temperature is about 67.9. Don't let that fool you. By the way, we we do well. We hit uh, we've hit 100 so far this summer. So already. So, um, but it's uh, it's still a subtropical climate. But I think there are a lot of the impacts in the semi-arid climate you see to the west that we are increasingly Uh, Beginning to see, you go and talk to people. Our colleagues like Dr. John Nielsen-Gammon at Texas A&M, our our state climatologist, and he'll they'll tell you that you get that close to that break between the subtropical climate and the semi-arid to the west. That guess what? That thing with the changing climate will begin to shift eastward a, a bit. So I think we're seeing that. I like the climate here. The only thing I will tell you, I love Austin. I love the people in Austin Marshall, but I wish we had a little bit more of a four seasons. I I wish that I could see snow on the ground maybe once or twice a year. That'll do it. Um, But, uh, (laughs) but on the other hand, it is what it is.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I remember being at an AMS meeting, Troy, in San Antonio when you, you had the ice. <laughs> you probably remember the ice storm EMS very well. Uh, and, you know, but I, I, I wasn't sure how much snow you got there. Now, you know, I taught my mesoscale meteorology course at the University of Georgia just this past semester. And one of the things in the in the course was about the dry line. I imagine you all sort of are teetering on either side of those dry lines. Tell us what dry lines are and how they affect your weather.
0: Yeah, you know, we actually in recent days had a great dry line passage here, and um, and, and all it is essentially is kind of unique. It's unique geographically, at least here in the United States, more limited to the central plains, but it's that uh, continental tropical air out of northern Mexico and the southwest U.S. and that, the smallest source region for any air mass. In, uh, in North America, it's a very small source region. Yesterday, or in the last couple of days, uh, Marshall, we actually had a dry line passage that I experienced. I have a co-op, National Weather Service co-op station here at my home office, and we had a dry line passage yesterday where the dew point fell about 12 degrees in 15 minutes. And that's what you get with these. And in a way, a dry line's not really a front because there are some fundamental differences between fronts and dry lines. But believe it or not, the dry air is actually has a higher molecular weight. So if you start shoving that dry air east, you still create rising motion on the leading edge of it.
1: Let, and let's, you, let's, let, me, let me jump in there right there because yeah. that is one of those counterintuitive things yep. Yep. that you just said. That and I and I often I've actually asked this on tests in my classes and even on graduate tests, because people I think intuitively think that moist air to the east of the dry line, because there's water vapor in the air, should be more dense. But that drier air that you're talking about can come in and lift that moist air for the reason you talk about.
0: Exactly. And and Marshall, the funny thing is people tell you. Well, I've been to New Orleans. I, I, you know, you step out in the moisture in New Orleans, it slaps you upside the head. I mean, you know, it really, truly does. It's, it seems like it's so heavy, but what you end up seeing because there's so much moisture present, it begins to displace other heavier chemical constituents in the atmosphere, and as a result, it actually becomes less dense. And guess who wins? Um, the the dry air to the west has a higher molecular weight. It starts moving east. It's going to shove that warm, moist air up. And that's why when you look at severe weather climatology, Marshall, here in Texas, while fronts are a big thing, they're a big source of lifting, they're a good lifting mechanism and very dynamic, dry lines can do it as well. And and many of our more infamous uh, tornado events and severe weather events have actually been tied to the dry line.
1: VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
0: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
1: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm talking with meteorological legend.
0: In, oh man
1: <laughs> no I'm, I'm 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 actually serious i'm not actually overplaying this it's true do do, do I, I get a pay raise with that marshall troy, well well <laughs> we well i don't know who to talk to about that but i know who you are span can give you one we're gonna talk about james span here momentarily oh man right, but let me tell you a little bit more about troy as i mentioned he's a long-time meteorologist in tv and radio markets in austin spanning 30 years he's He's taught at the University of Texas. He's the owner of Chemco Meteorological Services. He was a team meteorologist for Texas A&M University football. Gonna talk a little bit more about that later. Hopefully he has the state coordinator for the COCORAS Network, which is a volunteer crowdsourced gauge network. He manages troykimmelweather.com. So definitely check out that website. Uh, and, you know, I'm in the Geography Department. He's a bachelor's degree in Geography from Texas A&M. Uh, we have an atmospheric sciences program at the University of Georgia. Uh, I have meteorology degrees, but my home department is geography. And he he's, knows a lot about Texas. Now, you heard me mention James Spann, because one thing you may not know about Troy, but he is very much a part of the outstanding and awesome Weatherbrains team. How did you get involved with Weather Brains?
0: Uh, you know that 's a funny one, Marshall, because they they when James first called, he said, "This is called Weather Brains. and I said, "Why the heck are you calling me <laughs> um, and I will tell you that james and my relationship goes way back i uh, I have a ton of respect for James because of the amazing the amazing work that he does and and how many countless i i, I don 't say this about many people, Marshall, but the countless number of lives I think he 's influenced in Alabama. Uh, through his work at ABC 3340, and and especially in a tornado event, and I, you know, meteorologists are a st- strange bunch. We already know that, Marshall, but mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you, in severe weather events in Alabama, I'll go to streaming ABC oh, 3340 sure, just absolutely. to watch James. Sure, he's and, he's a he's a lesson in itself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and he's done such an amazing job, and and I've been so fortunate and privileged to have the chance to uh, know him for. Uh, we we kid uh, that we're both getting a little, little too old, but uh, at the same time, that's been a relationship I've truly enjoyed. Yeah, I, I
1: agree. I've had a chance to get to know James over the years. He's visited us, visited us at the University of Georgia. Couple of times, our students love him, and we just really appreciate what you all do uh, with the pioneering weather brains um, episodes that you do. Um, I mean, pretty much weekly, and they're also available. You can go check them out if you can't catch them when they air. Uh, it's still on Monday nights. So I've, I've, I've enjoyed all the times that I'm on there. But let's get back to Troy Kimmel. What are some of the memorable, most memorable weather events? That you've experienced in your career there in Texas, or otherwise, for that matter.
0: You know, I have to go back, and and, I, and Marshall, I'm not uh, I'm not particularly proud of this event. In, in a way, I am, but I'm probably being overly critical. But one of the events that I remember the most was May 27th, uh, 1997, and that, of course, was Gerald Tornado Day, the EF5 that came southwestward through gerald texas i was working at fox 7 ktbc here in austin had uh, i forget whether we were fox or cbsn we'd gone through a network change uh, about that time um and on that day marshall i remember so well about the humidity uh we had oppressive dew points even for here dew points in the mid and upper 70s here in austin we had a front dew in the area it was not going in marshall in my recollection One of those red-letter days, it was a severe weather risk, but it wasn't anything unusual. The upper-level wind pattern was not especially established, but there was uh, an amazing amount of moisture, an amazing amount of instability in the atmosphere, and that front moved into it by mid-afternoon, and the tornado at Gerald occurred about 3:45 in the afternoon. Uh, the reason I'm not necessarily proud of it is I kind of downplayed it originally because I thought storms would move off to the east and northeast. If you remember where that event, and as we well know, Mother Nature has great ways of putting Troy Kimmel and Marshall Shepard and James Spann right back in their place. And on this day, those storms started migrating to the southwest. Um, and even required the issuance of a new watch uh, that came out of tornado watch that extended down through the area. So initially, I was not that impressed by what I was seeing. And I told the newsroom that at the point at KTPC at Fox 7 that day. Now, it didn't take long to realize uh, this thing is happening. Uh, do you think those storms, Troy, are going to get all the way down into our area down near Gerald? No, I don't think it'll happen. Guess what? It did. And we ended up having this. The one thing. That I remember so well, and this would have occurred a few minutes after five o'clock that day. This would be an hour, uh, Marshall, or a little more than an hour after the tornado had been at Gerald. I'm on the uh, set with uh, Dick Ellis, who was our anchor. He's passed now, but love Dick Ellis, great anchor here in Austin. And we got word from the Texas Department of Public Safety that there had been in the teens the number of deaths in Gerald. And I remember looking across the set at Dick, and we're on the air, and I say, I just don't understand that. We were on the air with warnings. We, we really got, what, what happened here? We, 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 we talked about this. What happened? Uh, don't really know. And then, of course, it ended up going up to 27 deaths in Gerald, and the next morning, I had the opportunity, courtesy of the Georgetown, Texas Police Department, to get into a helicopter and uh, fly down that path, and I realized then that this was not the average tornado. I didn't know it was an EF-5, but I knew it was bad, and I knew that it's unique here, Marshall, because we have a lot of subsoil limestone layers along and west of uh, the Austin area, the Balcones Escarpment. You don't build underground shelters like we do elsewhere, Marshall, in Alabama, Mississippi, and in Georgia. We don't have those. And what we had here all of a sudden, Marshall, was a tornado that unless unless you could get below ground level, it was going to be very difficult to survive. And as we went through the balance of that day in the next couple of days, we heard the stories about the Igo family from uh, Gerald, Texas that the mom and dad gathered up the three kids, three boys, and they went in the bathroom and pulled a, a mattress over the top of them in the bathtub. They did exactly Marshall, what you and I tell people to do. They did it. They went with the safety rules and all five of those, I, the Igo family members all perished in that tornado. Oh, wow. And, and, and so, as I look back at it, that's one of the biggest events that we have. Um, I think still uh, we have so many amazing people that are working on this. I, I still think, even this many years after the our warnings from the weather service, sometimes I think there are too many of them. That's just my personal opinion well let 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 let's stop there for a second why, yeah. why, say, what what are the potential impacts, and why do you say that? Well, my gut feeling, and by the way, Marshall, this is just Troy Kimmel saying it. I have a ton of respect for every man and woman that works in the National Weather Service. They have a heck of a job. And for having 4,000 employees with the responsibility they have, they do an amazing job. What I worry about now is that we're getting afraid of something called the false alarm ratio. This is something, This is we're talking in the weeds now, Marshall, but the false oh, alarm ratio. That.
1: We love that on weather. Yeah,
0: you know, I, and I think we're sort of afraid of that. Um, I think we've got to pay attention to it. Um, I think sometimes that maybe we just, I, God, I hate to say this, but I, I wonder sometimes if warnings are there, if we sort of use cover your rear end type of mentality sometimes to to get those warnings out. I worry there are too many of them. But still, Marshall, we do a good job with that. Yours and my problem with that and James Spann's problem with that is not the warning. Meteorologically, most of them are sound. But it's what that warning means to people how do we get into yours and my brain and make people help people critically think about this and make a life saving perhaps decision about it that's the trick that's where we are that's where kim up at uh, ou and and yeah, people you know, like this are doing so much of the social work yep. trying to figure out and why jane Spann, we talk about in the weather brains why you know we have such a hard problem that, but manufactured housing's not a bad thing. Now if a tornado's coming down the street at you, you need to get out of it. I'm not I'm not knocking that form of housing cuz people so people have to live in that sort of housing, but we need to have a plan. Kevin Clazel up at OU, who you also know. Sure I love Kevin. Know. Kevin he's he's a great guy. He says hope is not a plan. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I appreciate the AMS. They recently Uh, probably in the last year or two with Kevin's leadership in in part, uh, issued some guidance and a a policy statement on exactly that and why we have actually moved beyond an era of hope or we'll wait and see. I mean, there's enough information, as you just noted, from our outstanding weather service and private sector and academic colleagues, that there's information that weather decisions can be made. Uh, without sort of the hope as a part of the plan. So I really appreciate appreciate you saying that. And, and shout out to Kim kloka uh, McLean, and Gina Esco, and just various people. Castle Williams, who just defended his PhD uh, here at the University of Georgia on message consistency with severe weather outlook. Just how, I, I want to get your thoughts on that, actually, Troy. Someone's been around the block in terms of radio, TV, and whatnot. Castle Williams, outstanding young scholar from our department, did a study on the outlooks that these SPC issues with the yeah. different colors and enhanced and all that stuff. And he talks about that, you know, when different stations use different, they may have the same information, but they paint them different colors and yeah. various things that creates message inconsistency. What are your thoughts just over your 30 year career on just how we can we meaning the broader communications committee, uh, community of weather
0: communicates consistency of messaging. Well, I think the inconsistency Marshall will kill us. I I really believe that. We've got to be consistent in our messaging. And, you know, a second ago, I, uh, you know, a couple of minutes ago, I kind of said, okay, maybe we have too many warnings. But I talked to a weather service office a couple of days ago, Marshall, and this made me so happy. I talked to a weather service office, I'm not going to disclose where it is, um, where they told me they have recently in their office gone through and they sat down with staff and said, look, let's try to be let's look more critically at our warnings let's look at them and see uh, how much you know uh, let's see if we can maybe cut down the number of warnings so I'm hearing that out of some weather service office I'm not saying if that event is out there and it's on the radar and you see it you better have that warning out but at the same time maybe look at it a little more critically I think that um, the inconsistency uh I, I, Marshall I talked to uh, I'm also not disclosed location, but in the last 24 hours, talked to someone very clearly who said, are we in a marginal risk? Now, the marginal risk in the outlook is greater than the slight risk, right? And I said, no, the marginal risk is the fir- is level one, slight is level two, and, and we kind of go there, uh, you know, and we've got to have, gotta have consist- com- some consistency with that. And I don't know if it – Marshall involves putting numbers – on these or making it level one out of five or one out of four or, or whatever, but we gotta, we've gotta be able to do that as part of this messaging. Cause again, the warning or the uh, outlook or the watch, it can be really good, but how the public perceives it, if they don't, it's all for naught.
1: Yeah. I, and I, 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 I just want to sort of put a, a blip out there and look out for some of the Papers that will be coming out of Castle's uh, dissertation. I think one's going to be published in the Bulletin of the AMS, and I I tweeted out there uh, at Dr. Shepherd 2013 a a link to his doctoral dissertation on YouTube too. So I I, I really hope you can take a look at that. Troy, you've been in TV and radio over the years. What's harder, and what are the main challenges and differences in how you message in those two formats?
0: Well, you know, in a way, Marshall, I like, I like radio because it doesn't require makeup. I always kind of hated that. <laughs> you know? I,
1: I've, I've been there, done that.
0: <laughs> and I still keep the makeup around for those cases when I have to appear on camera. But in a way, uh, and I, I, I stopped my TV career back in 2013. There's a whole other episode with that. I think TV has changed. I think that it's not what I'm used to because I started out in 1978 on television. Uh, that's how far back I go when I was at Texas A&M as an undergraduate. Um, that business has changed. It's just um, uh, nowadays, I I wonder, Marshall, for the people that listen to this podcast, I wonder sometimes how TV people have the time to forecast. Um, and because they're so busy having to social media this. And, and my question is, are you forecasting the weather any? Do you have any time to do that? And And in a way, Marshall... I wonder sometimes that about the Weather Service. They're doing so much other stuff. How much time do they have to put into that forecast? I th- still think that we get a heck of a deal. And, again, I have a ton of respect for the men and women of the Weather Service. Louis Ussolini, uh, uh, a really good friend of mine, and and I tell him that all the time for the men and women that work for the Weather Service. But it's just a change business. TV has changed nowadays. Well, Radio. I like you.
1: Well, before you go there on radio, Troy, let me just sort of follow up on you because I wrote an article in Forbes several years ago because we had some really outstanding young young people from our our program at Georgia that are, were doing well in broadcast. I mean, they were not struggling. They were stars in their markets, young stars. They got out of the business. Yep. And I started sort of poking around. And for some of the reasons that you were talking about, it's just so much. Now, you're you're going to transition to radio. Is it a little bit less stressful or...
0: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the nice thing is that, uh, and you know what else with radio, Marshall, I think bottom line is this, you better be a good communicator because you're taking, as a meteorologist, you're taking an inherently complicated science. Uh, by the way, we are not only forecasting the weather, but I believe we are teachers as well. Uh, either through television or radio, I think we have that responsibility. I think we we have to have that And so in discussing this, you've got to take an inherently complicated science and be able to bring it down to Earth, in a sense. And you can't be necessarily on radio and TV talking about vorticity, uh, you know, and, and all these other big terms. You've got to say, well, you know, this is spin in the atmosphere. You've got, to, you've got to be able to talk about that and lift in the atmosphere. If you're not a good communicator, especially in weather, I think it's hard to do that. I, I love my relationship with K-O-K-E here in Austin. I've been doing with Bob Cole and, and the group here in, in Austin. I love that. They give me a chance to talk about weather and to kind of teach people and explain people what's going on. So I like it. Uh, again, I go back, no makeup.
1: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com/slash metaverse impact. And we are back on the Weather Geeks Podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard and having a wide-ranging discussion, and I was hoping that it would end up this way because Troy just has a a vast knowledge of experience in meteorology from different perspectives. I want to kind of explore some of those perspectives now because you're a meteorologist, broadcaster, and so forth, communicator, but you've done some other things. I mentioned that you support weather operations at Texas A&M. Tell us about that role.
0: Yeah, that uh, came many years ago, Marshall. Uh, uh, Billy Pickard was uh, w- one of my great buddies. Uh, Billy Pickard and I go way back in the athletic department at A&M. Billy passed away a couple of years ago. But Billy Pickard approached me uh, back in the late 80s. We had a great guy. I had classes with this guy, uh, Charlie Brenton at Texas A&M. He was in the Department of Meteorology at uh, A&M at the time and Charlie passed away in the late eighties. Well, it ended up that, that Charlie was doing weather um, kind of pro bono basis for for the football team, for the athletics department, particularly on the football team. And Billy Pickard approached me He said, okay, uh, Troy, and we knew each other pretty well even at that point from me being in Bryan College Station back then. He approached me in the late 80s and he said, look, I want to put you under contract. You're going to take Charlie Brenton's. uh, You're going to supply the weather forecast. You're going to do it for free. Um, We want you to do this and we want you to do that. And, by the way, never be wrong. And and I always laugh. I always laugh with with Billy Pickard, one of the nicest guys in the world. And even today, I'm still it's not I'm not really doing EOC stuff for for Texas A&M like I am for the University of Texas. But I'm just assisting the football program. Um, And even to this day, uh, the folks that are over there are great people. I enjoy working with them. Um, and 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 really have a good time. Just giving them practice information, ball game information, travel uh, information, as far as weather is concerned.
1: But for Texas, for the Longhorns, you actually are doing more of an EOC function.
0: Yeah, and and that comes from back nine eleven uh, essentially, uh, Marshall, because um, you know, in, we begin to see the spin up of what we call the EOCs of incident command uh, and things like that. And in two thousand five, I was invited, and you know, the academic set up. Um, As a senior lecturer, my thing is mainly focused on teaching, but it's also in service. I'm not that much into research, uh, more into service. And they approached me in 2005 to become part of the Safety and Security Committee, University of Texas. Bob Harkins was the head uh, head of that group um, working very closely with the safety, but also security, University of Texas Police Department. Uh, Robert Dahlstrom was the chief of police back then. David uh, Carter is the chief of police. Now, I work with both those agencies in weather uh, monitoring. I work the EOC for all ball games, but also we do uh, weather messaging as well, which comes uh, from university leadership. I work very closely with them, um, and uh, it's I love it. I love it. And, and you look, and you know this, Marshall, you're sitting there and you watch this happen. How many students now with meteorology, I always say, go for that meteorology, but get you side, get you something off the side, diversify if you can. And how many students are going now, Marshall, into emergency management? Is that second? Absolutely. Yeah. We're actually even exploring a,
1: a, a, a joint atmospheric sciences and emergency management, disaster management degree program at Georgia right now but for that reason
0: yeah yeah it, it's, it's it's really uh amazing I enjoy my relationship with University of Texas Athletics imagine that Marshall here I am we got SEC school SEC school versus big 12 now but back in the day you know when I started doing this I was doing stuff for both A&M and for University of Texas and you thought I had three horns and uh you know, growing out of the top of my head, people said, you can't work for both schools.
1: Yeah, Um, I was was actually thinking about
0: that. I wasn't (laughs) bringing that up, Troy. (laughs) No, no, but uh, I've enjoyed the relationship. And the good thing, too, is that University of Texas is, they've always done, you know, it's like Kevin says, hope is not a plan. I've been very proud of what UT has done, uh, not just because of weather, and it's not one person either, Marshall. In In these sort of things that you do, it's a team effort. It's very much a team effort. And our safety side, Jimmy Johnson and uh, and, and Jonathan Robb in emergency management and, and our all of my colleagues have headed there in a few minutes, University of Texas Police Department that do our messaging. Uh I have a tremendous amount of respect for them and I enjoy being part of their team to get the word out. The University of Texas does a good job with this. By the way, Marshall, we're not perfect. Those plans are not necessarily perfect. They as human beings, we're not perfect. I think the uh, pandemic has taught us that. We're not perfect. We're not perfect in weather forecasting, but we've got to have that plan, and I feel like the University of Texas has done an amazing job in in getting that out there. We're not going to be perfect. There are going to be times that we get slapped upside the head, but at the same time, uh, I'm very proud of our organization at the University of Texas.
1: Yeah, again, and I'll pick up on that because Jim Cantore and I had that conversation on AMHQ last week. Look, the models are going to give us guidance. They're not Ever going to give you the exact information? Whether they're weather models, coronavirus models, but they give you enough information to make decisions. Um, tell us a little bit about Kimco Meteorological Services. What do you do there?
0: Uh, you know, this came up as uh, basically a DBA doing business as many uh, many years ago, and I did a lot of radio station stuff through the years. I could. Uh, I've, I've done weather for radio stations in Chicago, Salt Lake city, uh, other places in Texas right now, Marshall, I'm not doing that much other than my work for Coke FM here in Austin, really not uh, doing that much radio stuff. It's been more or less a business entity there to kind of allow me to, to be able to do that sort of thing. And it still exists today. I mean, it, uh, you know, I, I, do a lot of stuff, uh, I, you know me, Marshall. I, I, I do a lot of stuff pro bono. I get a lot of calls from APD, Austin Police, when they need weather data, and I'm glad to be able to provide it for them. Um, so part of my problem is is I get hold on.
1: Probably- yeah, I was about to say, I just, I just picked up on something you said, because I know how much you're doing, and you're doing a lot of this stuff pro bono. I mean, there's a lot of monetization of weather information. I Today, Troy. So yeah. I hope you're not underselling your value. Yeah.
0: No, I, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm exactly doing that, Marshall. So <laughs> I've got, I've got a, a i have got i have got have to sit back and look at that. Yeah,
1: no, I think that's right. We're talking to Troy Kimmel, a uh, legendary meteorologist in Central Texas. Now, you, you, you know, we're kind of drawing to a close here, Troy. Before I ask this last question, where can people find you in social media or on the
0: web? Um, at uh, social media. By the way, you, Marshall, if you came to me five years ago and you said, hey, uh, Troy, where are you on Twitter and Facebook, I'd have looked <laughs> at you and said, what? It's yeah. the same thing that you and I would talk about if, if someone brought up Zoom six months ago. <laughs> exactly. you know, well, we have well, I have it.
1: to admit, I, have, I was very familiar with Zoom because I don't fly that much anymore. So I was using Zoom pre-pandemic.
0: Yeah, well, uh, but I am at um, uh, my tag on Twitter is uh, Troy Kimmel WX. We all know WX is the abbreviation for weather, so it's uh, Troy Kimmel WX. Um, uh, Facebook, uh, believe is uh, is uh, uh, Facebook uh, .com, uh, Troy M Kimmel Jr. And what about your
1: and what about your 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 weather service? Is any websites?
0: You know, TroyKimmelWeather.com, that's my website at this point. We're getting ready to redo that website. It's a little clunky. Um, But, uh, yeah. But also, I will tell you that I'm really proud of what we've done at the University of Texas, Marshall. Uh, I have a choice piece of web real estate at the University of Texas called Weather.UTexas edu oh wow but, check that out yeah and and it's it, it's something i update weekdays with my forecast i have my thoughts uh, an audio weather thought section very brief by the way uh, the recent days it's been very brief because there isn't much talk about but uh but yeah those are my websites that i use a couple of just quick fire questions here the the end this out troy just really, mm-hmm. really quick fire answers here coca what is it and why should people get involved you know, I, um, I was state coordinator and state co-coordinator for a while. I've, I've relinquished that uh, uh, down to Bill Runyon. Bill is a retired National Weather Service guy, but he's now our state coordinator in the state of Texas. I love Coco Ross. I, I love Nolan. I love all the folks up at what they did. You know, uh, I wonder nowadays they realize what they got a hold of because they grew this from almost a statewide network to a regional network. Now it's a national network. Now it's an international network. Um, and it's the ability to let anyone, uh, given that you have a certain type of rain gauge and that you have good sighting, that's extremely important. Let's not put any rain gauges underneath the eve of the house. Uh, but you have good exposure to be able to contribute, uh, ground truth information to not only Coco Ross, uh, which they are interested in rain, hail, and snow, um, uh, it, be able to contribute that. And by the way, when you send that in, it goes to an AWIPS uh, console at the National Weather Service in your area as well. It's used for ground truth and things like that. It's a grassroots effort. I commend all the people up at, uh, up in Colorado for that. They've done an amazing job and it's been really my honor to be involved with them as they grew that network.
1: Yeah. And I, I am actually a Coco observer here in Georgia. So Definitely add my. In fact, I may be late reporting mine today because I've been. Oh, come okay. on, Marshall. <laughs> um, my bad, Nolan and everybody up there at Ross. Hey, one other question I wanted to ask you. But- you, you are somewhat inland, but what are the typical effects as we're in the hurricane season
0: now and expected to be a bit more active? What, what are the typical impacts that you all see in central Texas there from hurricane? Yeah. The location is everything, Marshall, as it is with you. I mean, even uh, in Georgia, even that far inland, um, these systems, by the way, one lesson that we need to look at, and our colleagues at the National Hurricane Center, Marshall, will tell you this, um, we get that apathy, if you will, when you don't get these storms for a while. In Texas, we hadn't seen that many, and a lot of people had populated areas probably they shouldn't have been in, and then what? Three years ago, we had Harvey. Harvey was a storm that slapped us upside the head. I use that expression a lot, but it got people in Texas' attention real quick to remind them what hurricanes can do. It just depends on the location. Um, Most recently, Marshall, you know, everyone heard about Um, Cristobal or whatever we call it officially. I've heard so many different names on the storm. I want to call it John. Um, yeah. But I,
1: I saw someone say Christy Ball, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I thought that, come the on, sea, the Sea Storm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. With that storm, people thought it's going to bring rain. Well, it, it it made landfall in the southern coastal parishes of Louisiana, and and Marshall, we're on the dry side, and and even storms that go into southeast Texas, Austin will remain generally on the dry side, depending on the forward movement. We're on the west side, and you and I both know this, but you get far enough in that periphery of the storm, not only does put you on the dry side but it puts you in atmospheric sinking motion. Absolutely. And, and, that's that, cool and, out. and that gets you, by the way, 100 degree temperatures if you're not careful this time Absolutely. of year.
1: Sinking air warms, right. adiabatic depression. That's a geeky term that I'll leave for another day. Yeah, we've been on the sort of wet side of the sort of periphery of Cristobal. Uh, and you know, as you get these types of storms this time of year in June, they can often be sort of sloppy and lopsided with a lot of the rain on the sort of right side of the storm. T- t- last question, what, what's Troy Kimmel doing in 10 years from now? Are uh, you still doing forecasting?
0: You know, I, I, I like to think that I will be because I'm, I'm one of those people that like, by the way, Marshall Shepard and probably like James Spann and other people that I know that I'm not sure that I would be good at retirement. Um, I just don't know that I, wouldn't, uh, that I wouldn't go nuts in that process. Uh, some people say I already am, but that's okay. Um, but, but at the same time, I see myself still involved. Um, so many good friends, AMS and in, uh, in National Weather Association, uh, friends like you and James and everyone else, I don't think there is much choice about what I'll be doing. I'm going to be doing the same thing, may not be doing it at the intensity I'm doing now, but I think I'm still there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to the folks out there listening that use Troy, you make sure you're giving him his due because he's one of the best in the business and he's a, such a nice guy. I know he does. Well,
0: Marshall, I, I appreciate that. I, but it is such an honor to be with you today. I, I will tell you that.
1: Well, well, we'll appreciate it. Before we get out of here, I've got to do the geek of the week. We like to highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's geek of the week is Giovanni Moreno. He is a weather photographer and storm chaser out of the Dallas, Texas area. Giovanni loves severe storms, especially when you can watch them from a distance and see the entire structure and the science behind all modes. If you or someone you know is deserving of the Geek of the Week moniker, be sure to follow us on our social media platforms on Twitter and Facebook. Troy is certainly the Geek of this week and a good friend and colleague and Someone that, you know, when, I, when we were thinking about shows to go forward with after the post pandemic, I was like, let's definitely have Troy Kim along. I've been someone I've wanted to talk to for a while. We still want to do this sort of Weather Geeks, Weather Brains mashup we've been talking about for years. So maybe yeah. we'll make that happen one in the future as well. Troy, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast.
0: Well, it's a, again a pleasure to be with you and everyone out there. Uh, stay well. And uh, take care of yourself and, uh, and we'll all get the chance to uh, meet and talk again.
1: Yeah, we will. And I'm Dr. Marshall Shepherd from the University of Georgia. This is the Weather Geeks. Thank you for joining us. See you next time.